have to recognize that we can't just call these folks essential, but the valuable nature of these jobs and that many people doing them, a lot of them are women of color who are leaders of their households, right? They, their children and their family depend on them. They're fundamental members of our society. And I always ask people, if it comes time for us to need to receive care or our loved ones or our parents, who would you want receiving that care? Would you want someone who's making a good wage and has good benefits? Because at the end of the day, these people give so much of themselves to care for someone else. And oftentimes they don't even have the means to care for their own families when they get home. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today we're joined by Arnulfo De La Cruz joining us from SCIU 2015. Arnulfo, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Doing okay. Pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm glad I'm able to join you all. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us. You know, we had April on a couple of years ago, so it's good to follow up with you guys and kind of seeing what you're up to. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about uh, kind of SCIU 2015 for our listeners who don't remember? Yeah, so SCIU 2015, actually we, we got this is the year that we got our name from in 2015, the different locals of SEIU that represented long-term care um, merged into one long-term care local in California. So SEIU 2015 represents a little bit over 400,000 home care, uh, nursing home and private agency home care members across the state of California. That's interesting. How many did you say again? A little bit over 400,000. Wow. That's yeah. And the, and the bulk of that is um, the IHSS program, home care. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's the, the, the largest kind of sector within our union is the home care piece. Right. You know, home care is, is something not a lot of us think of or, or deal with. And kind of, I always thought it was just kind of for like elderly people uh, who couldn't take care of themselves, but it's actually much broader than that. Can you kind of talk to us about the different elements of home care you guys um, are seeing out there and, and your workers are, are providing services for? Yeah, sure. You know, it's it's funny that you say that because I think home care, it is so, it's one of the fastest growing professions in the country, right? And we know that at the heart of home care is that these are workers that allow people who um, prefer to live with dignity in their own homes, the, the they're able to do that, right? Thanks to a home care provider. And it kind of, there's a broad range. It could be a home care worker who has, you know, three clients who are seniors who need a little bit of extra assistance in their homes. Uh, maybe that means coming by three to five times a week or a little bit less, all the way to um, someone who was, you know, working for the state or in the private sector, and they now have to care for a child with a severe disability. Um, so I think the the scope of a home care provider is very broad, but at the heart of it is it allows for someone to live with dignity and receive the care that they need in their in their setting where they're living, whether it's their home, their apartment. Um, and if you look at who needs that care, it's been an explosive growth because I think folks around my parents' age, the baby boom generation, um, is, you know, this isn't just unique to California, but across the country, the need for home care right. continues to explode. 
Yeah, you know, that's kind of what we're seeing across the bar, bar in all sectors, right, is there's this great need for additional employees, different additional workers. And as you're saying, especially in your sector, uh, you know, projections of, you know, this big gray out we're having of these these baby baby boomers kind of how are you guys, you know, able to kind of attract more people to the work field and kind of help, you know, people in the field kind of keep doing what they're doing? Yeah, that's that's really, I think, at the heart of the journey that we've been on is 2015, you know, uh, home care at its roots uh, historically is considered domestic work in California in this country. And I think what, the journey that we've been on as a union is to say um, one of the fastest growing workforces in California, many times the work of home care is not kind of visibly seen by the public. It happens behind closed doors. And I think just historically too, the the folks who have done this work uh, not just in California, but across the country have been historically women and women of color. So the average home care worker in California is making uh, maybe a little bit over minimum wage. They don't have a retirement program. Um, so a lot of the kind of modern benefits that, you know, millions of workers have access to, historically home care has been left out. It's been uh, categorized as domestic work. And so I think the role of the union is to say, and one of America's fastest and California's fastest growing jobs that we think that we can do better. We think that home care providers deserve a living wage with good benefits. And that if we can, you know, chart a path forward, that this is a profession that's deserving of good pay and good benefits. We also think that that will lead to attracting the future workforce of home care, which we know essentially anyone you talk to says that the need is going to oh, more than double in the next 10 to 15 years. So really, that's at the heart of what we do through negotiating contracts, through working at the state. I'm really proud of the contributions that we made as a union in the in the fight for 15, which was really to, the idea was to raise the four, not just for home care, but for millions of workers in California uh, to put them on a path to uh, a living wage eventually through a lot of the negotiations that we do. Yeah, this year, you know, we're just we're just concluding bill signing. Uh, and, you know, there's just an article today about seven, you know, big union bills that were signed by the governor this year, you know, one for farm workers, one for the fast food industry, and a, and a couple others. Uh, kind of what are some of the things you guys have been working on and, and are looking to do uh, here in the future kind of to, to bring your union forward? You know, right now, the way that um, our negotiations are structured on the home care side is we um, the County Board of Supervisors of any given county in California is responsible for the for the uh, setting of wages and benefits for home care providers. And just to give you a sense, right now in Los Angeles County, where we represent over 180,000 home care providers, we're in contract negotiations. If you're a home care provider right now in Los Angeles, you're making you know 16 bucks an hour. Uh, the benefits aren't terrific, so we think that. This is a great opportunity in LA to to set uh, a a path forward. We call it the time for twenty that puts home care providers on a path to twenty dollars an hour with good benefits. And that process of negotiating at the county level, we're negotiating dozens of contracts any given month across the state. So we do think um, maybe there's a better way to address broad standards for caregivers in the future that address living wage, good benefits, perhaps retirement. That was also part of the work that we were doing at the federal level, right? You remember Build Back Better in the 
I think the proposal there was a historic investment specifically into home care. Ultimately, it wasn't passed um, in the way that we had imagined it, but I think, you know, working with state electeds, working at the federal level, all around the same message that it's incredibly important that we invest in care as one of the fastest growing industries, especially because it it really matters to folks, right? We know uh, that the consumers of this care, really it speaks to their standard of living, right? Being able to live in the setting that they choose and have the care that they receive. So I think what you'll see in the next couple of years is us really thinking through how do we use the legislative process to you know, drive standards for caregivers. Um, I'm proud of the work that we've done more recently on the nursing home side where, um, you know, I think the entire public saw the ravages of COVID in our in our skilled care facilities across California, but it's estimated that a little bit under 40% of those who passed away were just in skilled care facilities in California. And our members were those on the front line providing care every single day during that pandemic. And I think we're working closely with that industry to say, hey, this is also an industry that's in crisis. How do we address some of the challenges for the future that respect the contributions of these caregivers, most certainly in the pandemic, but many of these things were also going on before. Right. And then kind of, kind of leads me to my next question is COVID kind of affected, you know, all of us in a certain way, but a, a certain your industry uh, uh, greatly, you know, if, if someone's sick with COVID, you know, there's not usually a, an extra caregiver available to, uh, to come in. So, you know, care facilities had to be super careful on top of that, the people they were giving care to uh, were super vulnerable to uh, COVID-19 and its effects. I guess kind of what changes, you know, big changes did you see in your industry the last two years and kind of what, out of COVID, what have you found that still needs to be done or, or made permanent kind of in your industry? Yeah, the, the one thing that you mentioned, that's a great question. And you talked about um, some of the legislation that was recently passed, whether it was fast food, but we're seeing that the power and purpose of unions is more significant than ever. Actually, I was listening to NPR last night. There was this segment around uh, minor league baseball players who are now organizing an association. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. It, was, it was a fascinating piece, but I just, I think that we're seeing, given the challenges of us coming out of the pandemic and not that, not that it's over, but the support and the importance uh, for unions has increased across the country and at any poll that you look at. And I think what the pandemic did is it made it clear that we can no longer ignore the care workforce and specifically home care. And long-term care workers have been on the front lines in the fight against this pandemic, really caring for California's most vulnerable on a day-to-day basis. And we have to recognize that we can't just call these folks essential, but the valuable nature of these jobs and that many people doing them a lot of them are women of color who are leaders of their households, right? They, Their children and their family depend on them. They're fundamental members of our society. And I always ask people, uh, if it comes time for us to need to receive care or our loved ones or our parents, who would you want receiving that care? Would you want someone who's making a good wage and has good benefits? Because at the end of the day, these people give so much of themselves to care for someone else and oftentimes they don't even have the means to care for their own families when they get home. So um, I think the, as we see the growth continue, um, I think the, the role that 2015 and that unions play 
is really important, right? We're going to continue to advocate for the rights of our members, uh, ensuring some of these standards, things I talked about, whether it's wages or benefits, most certainly workplace protections and safety at work, I think are are even more elevated in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and that there's a lot more work that we need to do. I talked about the need to work at the federal level also to invest in care. Um, and as I mentioned at the top of the interview, so many of the uh, protections enjoyed by other American workers, uh, home care providers have been excluded. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that historically, none of them that we think are valid. So really, we look forward to investing in this critical sector of our nation's economy uh, of, of work. And we think that there's an enormous amount of work that lies ahead of us to do that. Yeah, you, that's something you mentioned is, is kind of um, unions have had kind of a a come up it's recently uh they're in the news amazon fast food workers starbucks uh you know unions are kind of having a rev revival right now and it's kind of interesting because what was it like 2019 there was that supreme court case that you know said that basically uh you know you couldn't do the fair the fair dues or whatever anymore and people thought you know everyone would be leaving the unions but you know unions seem to be stronger today than they were three years ago kind of what do you attribute that to you know, I think at the fun, at the heart of that is like when you don't have the ability to bargain collectively, um, it's just you versus uh, those who make decisions over your pay and benefits. And I think um, for broad sectors of workers in this country, that's that's not enough. And as we see the gig economy grow, as we see people having to cobble together multiple jobs to be able to make ends meet. I think you're also sensing that there's a real frustration that for too many people, the American dream is slipping away. It's not accessible, right? We've seen, it's really fascinating to see what's been happening with young people around the student loan, uh, you know, the movement to eradicate student loans. But I just think at the heart of being able to have a union accessible to workers is that it gives you the power to join together with your sisters and brothers and negotiate over your wages and benefits. And that's, you know, that's how you work with your, your brain, your hands every day. That's how you provide for your family. You should also have the right um, to be able to bargain collectively as, a, as, as, as part of that. So I think we're seeing the, um, the growth of those who are saying there's got to be a better path forward in terms of my standard of living, how I care for myself, how I'm able to provide for my family. And we're seeing a real, yeah, in, in multiple sectors, like you said, there's a real renewed sense of interest in organizing and in unions across the country. Yeah, you know, 400,000 members, you know, that seems like so many. Where, where do you guys rank in, in, I guess, unions in California in terms of size? Yeah, we're, we're one of the largest unions in California. Um, one of the largest in the country. And, you know, that's the, I'm glad you asked that question because often when we talk to, you know, an elected official or someone who's able to, who we know their decisions have a big impact on our members, it's, it's, it's an incredible investment if you can, in Los Angeles, 180,000 caregivers, the vast majority of whom are women, the moment that you invest in a living wage for them and good family healthcare for them, and real benefits. It has a direct impact on Los Angeles. It has a direct impact on their families. 
Um, so given the size, it's a great investment. And we know that the more that we're able to invest in caregivers, it has a direct relationship on their ability to care for the folks, you know, the consumers of that care. So there's a direct correlation between higher pay and benefits and quality care. Um, but it, it sure is, uh, it's, a, it's a large number. And at the same time, um, that's a lot of families, that's a lot of women, that's a lot of union members who, if we can figure out a path forward that drives a higher set of standards for these women, I think it's to the benefit of everyone. You know, to, to us, I guess, union novices who don't know a lot about the different unions, can you tell us a little bit about SEIU? I know you guys have many different branches, uh, but I guess like, it, what is SEIU and, and kind of how does that compare to some of the other unions we hear about, you know? Yeah, sure. The Service Employees International Union. So first we have a, our international union, right? It is an international union. We represent roughly 2 million members in the United States. We represent members in Puerto Rico, and we also have union members in Canada. Um, and then within our international union, the governance structures, there's different locals of the union. And in SEIU, we have property services, you know, the janitors, security guards. We have healthcare, um, which is, you know, long-term care. Um, we have, you know, hospital workers, uh, nursing home workers. We have uh, the public services, which is as we know it, county employees, city employees, state employees. So in each of those sectors of work, SEIU has different locals around the country that are organized geographically. So here in California, we have multiple SEIU locals that represent members in those different sectors that I had just mentioned. And so 2015, one of the largest sectors of that work and certainly the fastest growing is long-term care. Um, that's the 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 local 2015 we represent specifically long-term care but i hope that makes sense it's just around the sectors of work geography and then we're also we you know we're part of our international union and we do think that the more that we can plan together on accomplishing things whether at the federal level or the state level here in california we also have our seiu state council which is kind of governs the different participation of the seiu locals to say, hey, let's work on common objectives as it relates to the state budget or the legislative process and into into the betterment of our of our members. Oh yeah, no, no, that definitely helps clear it up because I, I remember you know working for the state. A lot of the state employees are SEIU and things like that. But that's amazing. Out of four hundred, you're four hundred thousand out of two million, so almost you know thirty percent there. That's something. Um, you know, we have thirty what three new members coming here to the capital in Sacramento. Uh, kind of what are what are the, some of the things you're working on, you know, to educate new members, and how do you think things are going to change for you with kind of this new new group of legislators coming in? You know, uh, given we've been talking about the size of this workforce, there's so many people I've spoken to, whether it's um, candidates or community leaders. The more you ask around, you get a sense that a lot of people do have they have a story around care, whether it was their parents who had a home care provider or someone they know who's in a skilled care facility. I think a lot of the new legislators, if they bring new energy and a new sense of sensibilities and priorities, and many of them that we've met with also are passionate about the role that caregivers play in their communities, the importance of that work. Um, and they're excited to lift up the value of care and, and kind of get to work in addressing some of these things. And you know, the other thing I'm really proud about is that SEIU, the 2015 members haven't just been clear that 
you know, we do, we're deserving of a living wage and good benefits. They've also brought up issues like wages can't move up fast enough to cover what the increased cost of housing has done in California. Right. So they're not just looking at one issue. It's, you know, I'm on my way to Florida where there was just a hurricane. Um, we're currently in a drought here in Southern California. Uh, my sister and her family uh, uh, in Northern California, we've had to deal with the wildfire. So I think so much of these issues are connected. We would be silly if we weren't addressing um, working on these issues t- together, right? So I think the the new legislators in the Capitol brings a lot more support and momentum for working people's proposals for the organizational goals, um, whether that includes workers' rights, you know, criminal justice reform, fair housing, the issues around the environment that I just mentioned. So we're going to continue to do all we can to lift up the stories of home care providers and nursing home workers and private agency workers and some of the challenges that they're having right now to make ends meet in California and hope that candidates and elected officials will kind of stand with many of these issues, which we're proud that we've had a lot of support, but there's so much more work that we know we can do. Yeah. Kind of in our, our last conversation with with April, it was kind of just in 2020. It was right after George Floyd. We spent a lot of time talking about kind of structural institutional racism, the kind of things that uh, you need to be worked on. Now, I guess uh, two years later, kind of what, what are some of the changes you've seen, if any, and kind of what are some of the issues you're still seeing today? Yeah, like I said, historically, you know, it's funny because I was I was raised as a young boy in the United Farmworkers movement, right? And uh, you talk about a sector of work, farm work, which is also not often seen by the public. Um, you know, historically, d- domestic work, home care, happening behind closed doors by primarily women of color has not been valued in the way that I think in California, our set of values is that we believe that caregivers' rights should be valued. They should be paid a living wage. So I'm proud of the work that we've done over the past few years to combat structural racism um, and lifting up the importance in the history of caregiving that that has played and that investing in long-term care and long-term care providers and home care workers is also a matter of racial justice, right? We know that this industry has been disproportionately shaped by longstanding, you know, policies around race or around gender. But with caregiving now one of the fastest growing jobs in the country, it's now more essential than ever uh, that we have to do better. Like, as I mentioned, and I can be more specific, this is an industry on the home care side that's 86% female, more than half of whom identify as Black or Latina or API, the medium income for these majority women is less than $19,000 a year, um, and benefits are sparse, uh, if at all, available. And so you combine poverty wages with uh, a lack of health care benefits. They don't have paid time off. Um, and so and, and in many places across the country, even in California, we're much further along, but home care providers in many places across the country don't even have the right to collectively bargain. So this is a workforce that we can no longer ignore. We have to recognize that they're essential. We have to recognize that the this work historically has been rooted in issues around race and gender, um, and that this is a fundamental sector of our society, and we know we can do so much better to meet the needs of caregivers, ultimately understanding 
then it also has a direct relationship between the quality of care that they provide. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, we just, you know, the governor just signed the, the farm workers bill and, you know, for three years, they've been trying to get this bill passed. And this year they just did this kind of tremendous display that, you know, marched all the way from Delano to here, you know, and they basically lived here at the Capitol, on the Capitol grounds for 30 days. Uh, it, it, was, it was quite uh, amazing kind of, you know, what, what can you guys draw from that? You know, and kind of, what are you hearing from that kind of that effort? And it, it finally prevailed uh, kind of for other unions and kind of, um, educating and drawing attention to kind of your issues? Look, I think they um, were able to identify uh, work that means so much to all of us, right? And again, we could, you know, the the food that's put on our tables, oftentimes we don't see who who was responsible for picking those crops, for allowing us to have the standard of living that we have. And I felt like the farm workers put together a coalition of, a lot of different sectors of society, faith, labor, um, and we were happy to support in any way that we could. But I, you know, I don't, I don't know all of the nuances of the campaign. But it sounds like it was. You could certainly see that it was gaining a lot of momentum, and it makes me think for home care. You know, currently we're fighting for our home care members. We call it the Time for Twenty campaign, and and in a similar sense, we don't, we're not going to give up until we're able to achieve the dream of economic justice and equity for this workforce. And I think kind of pulling on those coattails of engaging the community, faith, elected officials to say, we know that we can do more. And I also suspect that there's gonna be a lot more of that in other sectors of society, as we talked about at the beginning, where you see a renewed interest in workers having a seat at the table and being able to bargain and lift up the issues that matter to them. I think, I think, you know, we'll see more of that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like on on the farm workers, you had the farm workers, you know, against the farmers, um, kind of in your world, who, who are the individuals involved and kind of what, you know, who, who's, I guess, not necessarily in your way or, but we kind of, what are some of the hurdles you have to cross to kind of get some of the things you guys need for your union, you know, this, this upper wage and, and, and for workers and things like that. Yeah, ultimately, I think it's a question of uh, value. And I would also argue that it's a question of morality, right? You have, in the case of home care, oftentimes in any given county in California, it's the largest public workforce, majority woman, um, majority woman of color. So as an issue, as, as a moral issue, and as an issue of investing in the largest public workforce in any given county, I think that a living wage and good benefits, um, I don't know anyone who could be against that. I think it's just a question of, we know that every organization um, has different priorities, right? And I think that we, I know that we can do better as a country. I know that we can do better in California in, in valuing and investing in this workforce. So that's on the home care side, which is a public interest, right? It's right. It's a public service. On the nursing home side, the vast majority of skilled care facilities in, in California are privately owned, right? And they're for-profit companies. I also think that there's a real interest from even the uh, these private companies to say, it, it, you know, after two years of experiencing the pandemic and in many of these industries and nursing homes is no exception, there's a real, um, there's, there's a, uh, a lack of, applicants, right? There's on the workforce side, there's big challenges right now that I think it's going to take us being able to work together with that entire industry 
um, to say, how are we going to attract people to this profession? We have our ideas on how we would do that, but we've seen, um, you know, thousands of nursing home workers also leave the bedside in the last several years. It's been so difficult for that workforce. So I do think that uh, for me, it's less the question of kind of who's in our way, but who do we need to be working with to address mm -hmm. some of these challenges, understanding that they're big ones and we're going to need everyone to weigh in uh, to, to, to be able to make some progress on these issues. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, well, best of luck to you coming coming up in this next year and uh, hopefully, you know, keep going along and keep educating and advocating for uh, for your workers. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. Take care.